Are you the spender or the saver in your relationship? Do you sometimes come from two different perspectives about money and budget, especially regarding your home and home furnishings? Today, I have Dan Hines on the show and we're gonna tackle it all with some great advice. So here we go. You're listening to Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Designing a new home to be your family's sanctuary can feel impossible during the stress of moving. In this podcast, interior designer Jill Kalman shares practical advice, design wisdom, and lifestyle tips for anyone moving to a new home. You'll learn all about the psychology of a well-designed home and how to survive the move and thrive in your new life. Say goodbye to overwhelm and hello to a home you love to come back to every single time. Here's your host, Jill Kalman. So today I have with me Dan Hines, MBA, and he is the financial coach behind Adulting with Money, which you can find on YouTube. For six years, Dan has taught couples how to unite and not fight over money, whether they want to crush their debt faster, buy a house sooner, or just really want to get on the same page. Dan is a graduate of Iowa State University, and he holds a master's degree in business administration with a focus on finance. He has a 20,000 plus word guide on how to talk about money with your spouse. This ultimate guide teaches couples how to be on the same page with money by focusing on meaningful lifelong habits and sprinkling in some helpful hacks. Dan also draws on his experience as an adjunct professor in finance when guiding couples toward financial and marital bliss. Dan has been a guest on multiple other podcasts, and he's written articles as well and been a financial coach for two morning radio shows. Dan lives in Florida, and I'm so happy to have him here today because let's face it, When it comes to finances, people often are not on the same page. And when you are buying a home and then moving in and having to decorate that home, remodel it, or do any type of upgrading, typically people aren't on the same page. So I think this is a great thing to talk about today, and we're going to dive in. So here we go. Hi, Dan. I'm so happy to have you here with me today on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. You're very welcome, Jill. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to having a lot of fun. (laughs) We will. And I really think this topic is such a huge piece of the puzzle. It's so important when designing a home. I think that a lot of it really can come down to the financial planning. Yes, yes. I mean, when it comes to financial planning, when you start to talk about retirement or trying to get out of debt or just having fun and going on vacation, a lot of that has to do with our goals and our dreams and and our emotions and what we want. And so trying to organize a home or design a home or just just go shopping for a home, it has a lot of similarities. So yeah, absolutely. Very much so. And I'd love for you to talk about, you know, exactly what you do and sort of the planning approach, you know, to finances that we talked about as a planner versus some other financial advisors in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a financial coach and I focus on helping couples get out of debt, buy a home, save up more money, or just get on the same page. And just real quickly, you know, when I say a financial coach, a lot of people kind of tilt their head like they're a puppy and, and go like, well, what's that? <laughs> and mm-hmm. the, the big difference is that, you know, if you think of a financial advisor, and I used to be a financial advisor helping couples and families and individuals with picking retirement accounts and choosing investments and what kind of insurance should they 
they have and things like that. But as a financial coach, I'm more like a personal trainer where, mm. you know, I'm helping you with the day to day habits, the introductions, because if you've ever walked into a gym and just felt overwhelmed by all the equipment and things that are going on and you just don't know left from right, it's good to hire a personal trainer to walk you around and say, well, what are your goals? You know, what do you want? Like, OK, well, you don't worry about that equipment. You don't need that for your goals and and stuff like that. And I do the same thing with couples and money is oftentimes we, we don't even know like the right questions to ask. And so I ask them, I ask, you know, what is it? What are you thinking? What are your goals? Have you thought about this? And so as a coach, not only am I helping you make decisions, but I'm also teaching you the process to make decisions so that, you know, down the road, you as a couple can do it on your own. I'm, I'm teaching you to fish so you can fish for the rest of your life. <laughs> no, that's great. And I think as you and I talked about, we sort of, you and I both kind of get into like, well, what's the mindset behind it? We sort of have to peel the onion back a little. It's not just so this or that, right? And it's like, well, why? And sometimes when you realize why you're feeling a certain way about money or finances, it kind of opens up the conversation, you know? Yes. So mm -hmm. it goes a little deeper, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Because I even do that, you know, I've noticed with my clients over the years, the biggest excuses to not do anything, whether it's a home or anything else, is time and money. But if you really look at that under a magnifying glass, sometimes it's not that we don't have the money, we perhaps haven't prioritized the money for that. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could say yeah. the, the same thing about debt or trying to save more for retirement is to say that it comes down to if you want to say yes to that new goal, you know, what are you willing to say no to somewhere else in your life? And oftentimes we just we get into these habits where things become important because we've just been doing them forever. And we don't stop to think like, well, you know, maybe it's not as important as I thought it was going to be. I mean, you could be in a career for a decade and say to yourself, you know, I've been doing it for 10 years and I really don't want this anymore. <laughs> you know, I could yeah. it's, it's, maybe I need a career change or what is it? What's going on? And that can ha happen with our financial goals or, you know, pieces of furniture. I, it can happen anywhere. So, yeah, it's the, the deeper emotional level is part of it. But also, you know, there's the tips and the tricks and the hacks and the and the things that that are helpful as well. <laughs> yeah, it's about goal setting for sure. Because yeah. how can you ever reach a goal if you don't set it? That's kind of my my thing. But let's dive in and, and set the stage for when a couple's deciding to you know, purchase a home and some of the pre-planning maybe they should do, conversations they should have, goals, whatever. And conversely, what happens if they don't have it? right? If they yes. don't have any pre-planning. So yeah, I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah. So goal setting and planning, I see it as a very iterative process. It's something where, you know, you come up with the first draft of the plan and you get a little bit farther then you've got to do the second draft of the plan. And so when a couple is looking to, when you're looking to buy a house or, or you have some sort of financial goal, one piece of advice that I love giving my couples is that when you're sitting down to talk, it's okay to have a brainstorming, meeting versus a decision meeting. And this idea comes from a book called Radical Candor, which is mostly mm. about how to be a better boss. And it's a great book. I highly suggest it. But one thing that I do for my clients and my wife and I do as well is that when we want to talk about something, we kind of decide before we even start the meeting, like, okay, is this a, an idea meeting, a brainstorming meeting where we're just going to throw stuff at the wall and see what we like, don't like, or mm -hmm. is it time to make a decision or both? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can do both in one conversation. The Mm 
problem Mm -hmm. comes up when one side of the couple wants it to be a brainstorming and the other one wants to make a decision. And then it kind of turns into a fight because both of you are disappointed in the results because one of you wanted to make a decision and the other just wanted to just talk about it. (laughs) That's such a good point. And and the thing is, it's probably happening. You don't even realize it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. The person Mm -hmm. wanting the decision is just thinking that. And the person who's brainstorming is like, well, I'm just here to talk about it, not make a decision yet. But none of that's been said ahead of time. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're looking to buy a house. You know, my brother-in-law and his wife, they just got married within the last year and a half and they started to look. And that was my suggestion to him is to say, don't try to figure this out in one sitting. Like it's just have an idea, go look around and then come back together and be like, okay, what did we learn? What did we like? What didn't we like? Okay. Now Mm -hmm. what do we want to try? And it's going to take multiple times to sit down and to talk about it. And because, you know, when it comes to goals, sometimes it's actually really hard to know what we like because we have no idea. You've never even thought about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you start to think about like, well, what, you know, what color do you want the house to be or this room or that room? And sometimes you're like, I don't know, blue-ish. <laughs> but yeah. some people have an exact idea. Like my wife knew exactly what she wanted her engagement ring to look like. She had it mm-hmm. all planned out and that's cool. <laughs> but when it comes to other things like, hey, what do you want to do for dinner tonight? It's kind of like, you know, you got to throw out some ideas like how does Chinese sound? How does pizza sound? And and sometimes we don't know what we want. and, And so that it becomes a process. Yeah. How about setting the budget for it? Because people have different views about money. So you may have X amount of dollars to spend on the house, but one person may say, I don't want to spend all of it on the house. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. is it difficult to come to that number where people have two different views about the number of what the home purchase should be? Sure. Well, depending on the couple is how difficult it becomes, but also how much work you've done ahead of time. So Mm. when it comes to like if if one side of the couple wants a certain size of house and spending a certain amount of money, there's opportunity costs there is because if you're spending the cash on to buy the house, but don't have an emergency fund, you don't have a rainy day fund, you have nothing left in the bank in case something else happens, that Mm -hmm. could be the source of that trepidation. It could Mm. be where there's that emotional safety feeling. And it's that level of certainty where they're like, they don't want to trade that money safety for a certain size of house. They, they Maybe they're willing to wait a little bit longer to save up more money because the houses yeah. are going to be bought and sold f- forever. Like there's going right. to be, there's always a sale. There's always a Black Friday sale. Houses go on sale. Like if you're willing to wait, you can find a good deal. And so, sure. but when it comes to couples and talking about it, oftentimes couples get into this circular argument because they are talking about ideas, but there's no numbers to it. So that's where we dig into say, okay, well, how much do you want to the bank account to feel mm-hmm. safe? And mm-hmm. then we know how much we can spend on the house. And so it's it's to dive into that conversation to then to kind of negotiate <laughs> essentially and to compromise yeah. to say, oh, okay, well, so if we have this much in a savings account, but then we can have this for the down payment on the house and furniture and other stuff, then that's okay with you. And they go, yeah. And it, it's to have that conversation. Yeah. So you're so right. It's about laying that groundwork ahead of time, which I talk about with what I do all the time, too, because, again, if you don't lay the plan out for the room or the spaces, it's the same thing. So that seems to really be the key. So then once they have their financial plan, they sort of have the budget. They've had a conversation. Then does that home search look so much different because they've worked it out? 
It right? can. Yeah. 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 Cause it, it goes back to that idea of like brainstorming versus decision meeting. Like, are we buying mm-hmm. a house today or are we just looking and, and to be yeah. just on the same page on that tiny mindset. And you could have a lot more fun on a Saturday, just shopping around as opposed to if one of you is like, okay, we're buying a house today or we're narrowing it down to three choices. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, have, having that mindset before you even walk out the door, that's a great thing. Yeah. So then the disagreements that could arise after that is a little bit easier in that it might be superficial stuff. Like I like the counters in the kitchen or I want the bigger closet, but that stuff I think sometimes is easier to compromise on, at least if the budget's established and the other things are established, probably those little disagreements can be worked out. Whereas if you don't do the pre-planning, the disagreements are going to be bigger and harder to conquer, right? Yes. Yes. So yeah. yeah, if you're talking high level, like I like this house, I don't like that house, your conversation is not going to go anywhere. Um, right. Because when my wife and I started shopping for our home, you know, we were tired of renting. And so we started looking, but we live in a, a beach town in Florida. The problem is a lot of the homes that are for sale are second homes. And so they have tiny, tiny kitchens and tiny, tiny pantries. And my wife is a baker and she's like, that's the one thing I want. I want a large kitchen and I want a large pantry and I don't want to deal with these tiny little closets and cabinets for 20 years. (laughs) That was one thing. But but it wasn't until we started shopping around and saying like, well, why don't we like this house or why do you like it? And I don't. It's not until you start to dig into those details, you go, oh, okay. So if we find a house with an office, which is what I wanted, and a large pantry, which is what she wanted, then, you know, the bedrooms and bathrooms were kind of we're flexible. And to find out what your priorities are and what really is important to then prioritize prioritize what you want and what you don't want. Yeah, everyone has what I'll call like their sticking point or their sort of deal breakers, right? Yeah, and uh-huh. then but you know, I think knowing one another and you know like you know your wife cooks and all that. So what she was asking for made sense. She wasn't asking for something unreasonable, you know, it just and it made sense to you, so it worked out, you know. Mm-hmm, um, and that's mm-hmm. what I meant too by sort of peeling the onion back on some of this stuff. It just goes a lot more surface level and I think once you explore that then this process can work a bit smoother for couples that might not be on the same page. And and you sometimes know? it's hard to recognize then what is surface level and what you know, we need to dig deeper on because it's and I think that's where you as an expert and myself as an expert in our fields, <laughs> that's where we can recognize like, oh, OK, there's something more going on here. Whereas if you've never really had those conversations, you don't know that there's more to dig into. And so it's yeah. also to recognize to say, you know, where we can be those third parties that break those ties. Yeah, I think I mentioned to you, I oftentimes am a bit of a mediator. And it's like if the husband really wants one thing or one spouse wants this and one spouse wants that, you know, there's two things I do. One is I really listen to both sides and then I come up with an option that really pleases both. The other thing I've seen is one might say, okay, well, they can win on that and I'm going to win on this. In other words, I really want this in the kitchen. They really want that in the living room. And so we're going to compromise. So it always can work out. You just have to compromise and see where each person is coming from. And in the end, I have found the end result. Everybody is always really happy. And that is really what matters. Yeah. You know, for the most part. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So, and sorry to interrupt. I, um, yeah, no, it's okay. you, you're reminding me of a couple that I helped where the wife wanted to get a master's degree. The husband mm-hmm. had a hobby of uh, racing go-karts, which, you know, mm. for parts and travel and everything is, is, is an expensive hobby. Uh, mm-hmm. But they both were tired of renting and they both wanted to buy a house. And they were having just a hard time. Like they loved each other. They weren't really fighting, but they were just trying to figure out like, well, how do we do all of it? <laughs> mm-hmm. And really, well, the answer is you don't do all of it. But, you know, after I coached them and helped them kind of run the numbers and get organized, basically what happened was the husband said, well, I'm OK with giving up this hobby because he deep down wanted to buy a house more than that hobby. But yeah. he could in our our conversations, he also saw how important getting this master's degree was for his wife. And so it was one of those things where like it was on his wish list. But after seeing everything, he's like, well, it's really not that high on my wish list. And so I'm willing to give that up for now to then save up to buy the house in a house we can afford. And then there'll be room. And then by the time we're done with that, you know, the master's degree will be done. And then I'll have more money to go back to the hobby. And my so, hobby. Oh, yeah. that's great. And so, yeah. but, it, but it's not until you sit down and actually see like, oh, so that's how much what we want costs. And this is how much yes. we bring in every month. And to like to actually see that, you know, it's, it's tangible. I'm, I'm rubbing my fingers together like I'm holding cash because it's it's until you take that idea and kind of bring it to a surface level, a real level. It's really hard to make decisions. And so that's kind of my job as a coach to help enable that process. Yeah. And so what you just said is great because and it also leads me to my next topic. But when you say how much do, do things cost, what's really interesting is that and probably I took it for granted because I do it and I'm around furniture and everything. But, <laughs> yeah. But it's not that people haven't had a home before even. But a lot of times they'll say to me, I don't know what this costs. I don't know what a sofa costs. I don't know. And so because of that, what I have found is the financial plan when they're buying a house, because let's admit, you know, buying a house is a lot more than just the ticket price. There's a lot of hidden costs. There's a lot of maintenance. But furnishing that home is part of the home cost. Because if you buy a new home and it's empty, to me, it's like, well, why, why bother, right? But so the financial plan of buying a home rarely includes furnishings. And what happens as a result is people move in. In my case, my clients are typically upsizing. So they have a lot more space than they had before. So they're sitting for a long time with empty and unfinished rooms. And that really affects well-being, lifestyle, a lot of things. And they sort of can't get out of this mode of sitting in unfurnished rooms. And then the thoughts creep in of, I'm too overwhelmed. I don't have the time. I'm too stressed. It's too much money. When really they have to start thinking, prioritizing, planning, and goal setting to do that. So what happens is, is that because the financial plan hasn't been included after the fact and with no plan is sometimes where I get called in. And so what I like to try to do is educate a little bit about this. But what are some tips and advice you have for helping plan for that phase of the house, either before or even after the fact that could sort of help and ease it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, step one, hire Jill. (laughs) (laughs) That's step one. But then step two is as far as planning ahead is to then, yeah, to think about those things. You know, my wife and I were younger 
And, you know, I'm the I'm the third of three kids. And so, like, to furnish our house, we got all these, like, hand-me-down, you know, beds and frames and all. We had one bedroom was, like, all white wicker. <laughs> and yeah. so, we were happy to get rid of that. But, you know, we took time. But at least it was furnished. Like, if we had someone that wanted to come stay and visit, we had that place for them. And so, yeah. that plan... You know, the biggest piece of advice is that it's good to have a plan, but don't expect that plan to go perfectly. I mean, I sure. can there's so many quotes you can find. My favorite is from Mike Tyson, who says, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, when you're making this plan by yourself or with Jill is to think of it as like the versions of a book or versions of an essay, or you're building a product, but you kind of have to do alpha version and then the beta and then, you know, bring it to market. It's to say that it's going to be iterative and that's okay. That's a, yeah. that's completely normal. So yeah. it's to not get too bogged down in trying to create a perfect plan. Just make a good enough plan that has yeah. the, like the important stuff. And then the tiny things you're just kind of have to figure out as you, uh, you know, encounter them or approach them. So, so yeah, so when it comes to that plan is to start asking yourself to say, okay, well, you know, here's take inventory of what you have in your house to know kind of like, okay, this is how many rooms we're going to furnish when we get to the new house. Mm -hmm. But then our goal is to have a fully furnished house. So what's that gap? And you see the same thing in money budgets in like a monthly budget or a quarterly budget is to say, well, we have goals. We have things that we want. They're going to cost a certain amount of money. But what's the gap between, you know, what we're spending versus what we want to save and how do we get there is to start to have those tangible numbers to start talking about. Yeah, I mean, flexibility is key. And I've always designed my plans to be flexible. Like I even had a situation where we were furnishing a whole house, but we still do it in phases. We usually take like three rooms at a time or whatever. But even toward the last phase... There was a big bonus room that was included and the client came to me and said, you know what? I think I want to start the kitchen remodel much earlier. And the bonus room I don't really need to do right now because we have a playroom in the basement and we have an area in the family room. And I said, fine, we'll just take, you know, the last portion of your budget and for my services and we'll just use it toward the kitchen. I always wanted to be flexible because as you said, things do change. But, you know, the thing is having zero plan and having one that's flexible are also two different things. So it's really more I'm trying to encourage people just have some type of an assessment and knowledge and a loose, you know, outline even that, you know, we at least want these three rooms planned for. And then we'll plan for the next during this time. And not everything can be done at once. It's really hard to furnish a whole home at once, especially some of these larger homes. But if you can do it in phases and even say next year, we're going to do that. Or the next topic I'm going to get into is, you know, sometimes there's remodeling and construction. Sometimes people want to do those right off the bat to get them done. Other times people feel like that's a bigger investment and we'll do that later. So the only thing about do that later is to make sure that, you know, 15 years doesn't go by and it's still undone. <laughs> right, right. Right. So and those are bigger ticket things. So I understand that. But if you do you have any advice on those type of bigger ticket things and planning for those? 
Sure. So, I mean, when it comes to to bigger ticket or even smaller ticket is that, you know, you, you were talking there that you do three rooms at a time. And, you know, that's great advice for that big ticket stuff is to take it little bits at a time. Because there's a thing in behavioral psychology called decision fatigue, where mm. it's just like if you're making decisions all day, eventually you just run out of energy. And I and I think that's totally. kind of why it's, that's why it's also hard for us to, like, make a decision for dinner at night, because it's just like we've been working all day, making all the decisions, putting in all this work and our mental energy is just gone. And great so, point. Yeah. Not to interrupt you, but that's a great point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad we love each other. So, uh, <laughs> but, no, but, but it, it works for money. It works for all sorts of projects. And so, so yeah. So when it comes to that big ticket stuff is to, uh, you mentioned earlier, having just a loose outline. That's great. Do that one day and then give it a week or give it a day to just kind of let that mull around in your brain. And then the next day, come back to that to say, okay, how do I make this just one step more detailed? Just, you know, one extra little bullet point for every little of the major stuff. And then it's okay to take it steps at a time. In fact, I highly suggest it. (laughs) Not only is it okay, it's the smart way to do it. Yeah, I say that to my clients too. Because the other thing too, when you move into a new home, I even think it's important to give yourself some time to see how you want to live in that home, which sounds funny because you think, well, the living room's designated living room, the den is the den, but everyone's lifestyle is a little different and you may want to utilize a space in a different way. And sometimes it's important to sort of feel that out and find that out so that you furnish it or remodel it or you know, get it set up for the way you're going to use it in your lifestyle. You know, even like that bonus room I just mentioned, bonus rooms can be all different kinds of things depending on the family living there. So, you know, a space like that, that can be flexible, especially maybe that's the space that you do wait to see how are we really going to use that? Like now with COVID too, you've got oftentimes more than one person working from home. Yeah. And typically there might've only been one home office. So it's like, how are we going to, maybe that flexible space needs to be off office space now or place for homeschooling. So yeah, I do think it's really important, you know, to have flexibility like we talked about and consider, you know, how are we going to use that space and not just dive right in and, and, you know, spend a lot of money on something that could change. Perhaps, oh, sure. Right? Yeah. And I mean, depending yeah. depending on what climate that you are moving away from or moving to, it's just mm-hmm. like there's always that room that's like a little bit hotter than all the others or a little bit colder. So true. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's so also, true. but it's also to say that, you know, it, like the daily usage, I know that my wife is a light sleeper. You know, we've been mm-hmm. married and living together long enough that I knew that was a thing. And so one house we looked out, what you we were back in the bedroom and I said shh, shh, shh listen you know, we stopped to listen and you could hear the highway. I'm like, okay, this house is almost automatically a no, or it's very low on the list because it's, if, if that highway is going to be there at night and it's busy enough that my wife wasn't going to, I can sleep through anything, but she's, she's not so much. And also the, the house we're in right now, our master bedroom wall is the same wall as the living room where the TV is. And so they, like our headboard is on the same wall as the TV. And sometimes I stay up later playing video games and other things, watching TV. And so what we did was we asked the builder to just like, okay, put some extra plywood and some extra insulation in that wall just to help with sound as, as best we can. And so it's those little things where you start to think about like, what do we do every day? Do we like to read? Do we like to have quiet space or do we like to entertain? You know, how is that going to fit, you know, our lives? And then what do we need to help make that happen? 
Yeah, it is really a very important point for sure. What do you do? And I'm sure it happens where you just have two opposing views about money. So oftentimes there's a, I call it, you know, the spender and the saver in the family, right? Mm -hmm. So one is like, we just have to spend for today, live for today. And the other one really needs to save for a rainy day. And when they're really extreme on opposite ends of the spectrum, what is the best way to, I guess, balance that so that maybe, you know, everybody wins, I guess, or wins a little. I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> well, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Trying to find win-win situations and win-win solutions is, is always a good thing. And, you know, I guess that's kind of the high level. And, you know, we were talking earlier about knowing when to dig deeper. And that's when I want to start to dig deeper is to say that, you know, when it, if someone's a saver, you know, what is it about their human needs? So Tony Robbins has, he calls the six human needs, which are certainty, uncertainty, love, growth, connection, let's see, significance. And then the mm -hmm. last one is contribution. And so we all want those things, but we all want them to differing levels. So my job as a coach is to then dig into like, well, what is this saving? What's that human need? What is that helping you with? Maybe they're just someone who likes a lot more certainty and a lot more security. But then going back to the numbers thing is to say, well, how much does that security cost? Because insurance can solve a lot of big problems. Like our house was hit by Hurricane Michael in 2018. So homeowners insurance basically paid for all the new stuff. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, it, it helped us get back to even the same thing with car insurance and you've got health insurance or disability insurance, but insurance doesn't cover the tiny things. It doesn't cover the tires. It doesn't cover right. the doorknob that you got to replace. And so, right. so there's that conversation to say, well, let's talk about safety. What makes you feel safe? And then you've got the spender where maybe their human need is uncertainty, where they just love variety. And mm -hmm. sometimes the answer for a couple like that is to say, well, one side of you, you'll be it's kind of like me and my wife. It's like I'm in charge of the budget because I'm a nerd and I like this stuff. But if she wants anything, basically, I say, OK, and I figure out a way to put it in the budget. And we've each got our fun money, our allowances, if you want. And so yep. maybe, you know, one side of the couple to just have their own bank account that they can have that little slice of freedom is enough. And so sometimes it's not really about like they need 100% freedom. They just need enough to be who they are. And so that's where we dig deeper and try to find out, well, where's that threshold? Where's that line between the two? And then we'll right. create a financial plan to, to go for it. Right. Because like you said, you know, there are insurance for certain things and then things there aren't like you have to plan for retirement and you have to plan for potentially college or paying for preschool or there's a whole number of expenses, right, that we can think of. And then it's, well, how important is a family vacation? So all those things come into play, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And then everybody has to kind of see it from that perspective and say, well, you know, all this does add up to X and we only have X. So yeah. where do we give? Where do we take? Right. Exactly. And so sometimes yeah. it I've got some friends where one side of the couple, he always seems to have a brand, not a brand new car, but like a new car. He seems to have a new car every year. <laughs> so I'm assuming that they're leasing and they're just like trading in and out. But as a couple, you know, I, I don't know their financials intimately, but it could be where if they're making enough money and they can afford to do that, why not? <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, it comes down to like, you know, definitely the cheapest way to own a vehicle is to buy it with cash, no debt, no leasing. But, you know, if you can afford it, why not? And yeah. so, yeah, when it comes to trying to find out who you are and how much money it takes to be you, then it can come out to be to say, well, what you want is fine. I'm not judging you. 
but it's more expensive than you as a family can afford. So we've got to do right. something. Either you need to, to kind of change your idea of what it means to have free spending, or let's go find a way to make more money. I, I mean, it could it right. could go either way. It's it's more about digging just a little bit deeper to, to find out where that solution lives. Because I'm assuming our money beliefs are rooted maybe back from childhood. I don't know, either how we saw our parents or... I don't know. Our understanding of money probably goes back. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, yeah. I admit it myself. I mean, myself, my wife and I use credit cards and I'd say we use them responsibly. And I think both of us fortunately grew up where credit cards were debit cards with points. Like you're basically mm. being rewarded for just spending the money you were spending anyway. However, right. you know, however, some people, it, they didn't grow up that way. And so if they're having trouble with credit cards or, you know, or they grew up in a family where things were very scarce so that so they have a frugality mindset where spending extra money that we don't need to is bad, is is evil, mm-hmm. is to say we're bad people for luxury, yeah. which that's not always true. Like it's it's kind of nice to have Internet that always works because you pay for an upgraded package. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so, and pay your bill on time. Yeah. yeah, paying your bill on time. And it's, you know, and so it's it's to find that balance. So while I'm not a, a therapist and I'm not technically a, a marriage counselor when it comes to financial coaching, I dip yeah. into that just a tiny bit to find yeah. out, OK, well, what's the financial solution to help with this? Yeah, no, I mean, and that's where it does go back to mindset and same thing with furnishing the home. And no, I'm not a, I'm not a therapist or anything either, but you do have to go into your thinking because it really controls, you know, these belief systems we have and we have to sort of examine that at times and say, is this really valid and why do I feel this way? You know, and sort of question it maybe a little bit to get that kind of layer back there. So this has been awesome. You have so much valuable information. I love your whole approach to it. I'd love to have you give some of our listeners some maybe best tips or advice for even having the money conversation. I think that there's in some cases, and you've probably seen it where Maybe it's hard to even begin the conversation. And and as we talked about in the beginning of this show, that, you know, that sort of determining whether it's brainstorming, deciding where everyone's coming from is really the key and so important to having this be successful. So anything in that regard, and then anything you recommend when planning a big purchase like a home and then getting settled into it and then dealing with all the additional costs that come with that home purchase, that would be a great way to wrap it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the biggest thing is to, I have some free resources. So if you go to adultingwithmoney.com, I've got mm-hmm. two things. First is I wrote an ultimate guide. It's, it's called How to Talk About Money with Your Spouse, The Ultimate Guide. And it's 20,000 words. So it's like half a book. So that's free. You can find that on my website. And I've also got a brand new guide called Couples Crushing Debt. And it's just a six step process that you can work through to come together as a couple and figure out, okay, how do we want to best get out of debt even faster than we are right now. And both of those guides, they talk about, you know, a process to to, to talk about money and to get that conversation started. But I think the biggest one piece of advice kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier is to say, it's going to be a process. It's going to take mm-hmm. multiple conversations and that's okay. It's where you have like a little bit of a conversation and talk about it and then, you know, don't talk about it for a week or have money dates where like every Sunday night, you're just, both of you know that you're going to talk about finances and then you can just not talk about it for a week if you can get away with it. <laughs> so yeah, so it's it's to be intentional and don't 
try to think about tricking your partner. Don't try to think about, you know, it's uh, controlling them. This is a cooperative process. And so it's to say like, okay, well, the idea is to how can we find a solution for our money and to really think like we're teammates. How can we start to work better together to make all this work? And a lot of times it's just to open up and just say, okay, this is what I want. Here's why I want it. What do you want? And take turns. And like I said, it's a process. So going back to your final point about a large purchase, like a house is to, again, treat it like a process is to have Mm -hmm. just a brainstorming meeting like, hey, let's have dinner. And let's talk about how we grew up. Like what room in your house was a favorite? How big mm-hmm. of a house do you want? You know, have we, you know, what kids do we have? Do we want to have more kids? How does that come into the conversation? Is this house, mm-hmm. do we want it to be, you know, our retirement home? Or is this just like the next house in in, in life? And there's going to be another one down the road. And mm-hmm. to just explore and to talk about it. And then that will help narrow the infinite universe of possibilities down to a little bit farther, a little bit closer, a little bit more manageable. And then you take a week, you each, you know, you know, one of you gets on Pinterest and pokes around and one of you gets on Zillow and pokes around and then you have another mm-hmm. meeting to say, okay, well, here's kind of what we found. I've got, you know, I thought about it and I kind of want this instead of that. And it goes on from there. So plan Such for good it. advice. Yeah. Plan yeah. for it to be a process. <laughs> Great advice. I think you mentioned where to find you. I don't know if there's any other social media platforms or anything, but I'll wrap up by having you give any, you know, social media platforms or web address or anything where people can locate you because I think you're a great resource. Well, thank you, Joe. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, my website is adultingwithmoney.com. I have a YouTube channel where you can check out videos and that's Adulting With Money on YouTube. And then you can find me on Facebook at Adulting With Money and and Instagram as well. And technically, I have a Twitter account, but I don't ever use it. So you're not really going to find me there. (laughs) Okay, that sounds good. Well, again, it has been amazing having you. I think, like I said at the beginning, this is a really important topic. And this is a huge piece of the puzzle, I think, for home ownership. So I hope it helped our listeners today. And I really enjoyed you taking the time to chat with me. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, Jill. Thanks for the invite. I had a lot of fun. I'm so glad, Dan. All right. We'll talk soon. To celebrate the launch of this show, I am going to be giving away some great prizes to four lucky winners. One winner is going to get a pair of AirPod Pros and the other three winners are going to get a $100 gift card to either Serena and Lily, Restoration Hardware, or Amazon.com. You get to choose. So three lucky listeners who subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes will receive these. It doesn't have to be a five-star review, although I sure hope you do love this show. I want your feedback so I can create an awesome show that provides tons of value to you. So visit jillcalmaninteriors.com slash podcast launch to learn more about the contest and how to enter. I'll be announcing the winners on the show in an upcoming episode. From my home to yours, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Head over to jillcalmaninteriors.com to learn more about designing a beautiful new home while minimizing the stress of moving. See you back here next week.